0: All right, it's another Apex Vaulting podcast episode um, today. Super pumped! Uh, we have an awesome guest for you, Chase Brandon, former All American from Tennessee, uh, PR of eighteen three. We're going to be talking all types of different pull vault things. Um, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. Uh, if you can leave a review as well, that would be awesome. That helps the podcast a bunch. Um, also, if you want to follow us on any of the social media platforms that we're on, it's the Real Apex Vaulting on Instagram. It's just Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. And check out our website, too, apexvaulting.com. Um, without further ado, let's start this show. All right. Here we have uh, Chase Brandon uh, on the line. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast, Chase. Um, why, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of go into some of those topics we were just talking about that we're going to cover. Sure,
1: yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Bronco. Uh, it was good to finally meet you in person. Um, yeah. I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, but...
0: Yeah, yeah, that um, that was... I have to be honest. I was like, you came up to me and you're like, oh, man, hey, really nice to meet you. I'm like, he must be confused. Was he looking for somebody else? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. That that felt awesome, man. Thank you for saying yeah. hi. Yeah, I
1: appreciate, uh, you know, you doing the podcast and and all you do for our sport and coaching them up and stuff. So thank it's, you. Uh, it's my pleasure to be on here. Thank but, you, um, thank you. Yeah, so... Uh, I went to the University of Tennessee. I'm originally from Middle Tennessee, so only about two and a half hours from home. Okay. But I, uh, so yeah, I graduated in 2014, and um, I was an All-American there, Mm -hmm. and uh, still in Knoxville training, but not affiliated with UT anymore. Okay. And uh, Hollis is my coach now. Okay. And uh, so yeah, coming in. And
0: for people who don't know, Mark Hollis, you know, former huge jumper. What what's Mark's PR? Was it over 19? uh,
1: it's five eighty three, which I believe is nineteen two.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, stud, awesome, Walter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, go ahead. Continue. Sorry, I just for the fans, I oh, wanted did. to make sure they knew.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yep, I'm coming into my second year being coached by Hollis. The the three years before that, I was with Tim Mack. Okay. And then six years before that, I was with Russ Johnson, who's now. The football coach at the University of Georgia,
0: right? And and Russ was a, a longtime coach at Tennessee, and was coached by Jim B. Miller, who coached Tim Mack. I, I feel like not enough people understand that like kind of Tennessee family tree. I almost compare it yeah. to like in football, everybody talks about like that that West Coast offense family tree that came from San Francisco. There's still coaches that are connected to Bill Walsh of the '80s uh, who are coaching today. Right. So it's like it's amazing what has happened in Knoxville with with pole vault. You know, it, it's um, yeah, really. Yes. yeah but let, let me ask you that so before we kind of like continue on so, some other things um you know what is going on currently in tennessee with the pole vault because i feel like you know now russ has left and i even heard of stories when jacob blankenship was jumping that i guess they, they had to jump off site and they, they didn't know where they were going to jump indoors anymore like w- what what exactly
1: happened yes yeah, so i guess there was a there's a bit of a shift um so when i graduated. Um, at that same point, my head coach was J.J. Clark at the time, and uh, and he actually got fired. Okay. So they brought in uh, Beth Alfred Sullivan, and um, I guess she's coming up on about five years now or so, but um, her husband was uh, the vault coach at uh, their previous school, which I believe was Penn State. Okay. Could be wrong. Yeah, Penn State. And um, and so he kind of took up the mantle. It was him and Russ kind of doing like a uh, combination of coaching, and then... Mm-hmm they, uh, he ended up just taking kind of over the program. Right. And, uh, and so now they have, they got four vaulters or three vaulters now, um, a five meter guy, uh, and then two guys around five thirty. Okay. So, uh, they're on the come up again, but it is a, it's a different coaching regime I guess than when I was there.
0: Yeah. I just, I, I think it's crazy cause I, I think about, you know, things that I've heard over the years and it's just like, and, and, you know again we're going to hit on this topic maybe a little bit later but it's like i don't think people realize where track really stands on campuses anymore where maybe even mm-hmm. in some of these traditional track campuses it doesn't hold the same way it used to and it's like track has to almost kind of fit in to what the bigger picture is for the athletic department and if it doesn't like i man i feel like they're so quick to kind of like make big changes you know
1: yeah yeah i would agree um I think it definitely takes a while to kind of, you know, find out as a head coach, like who you want on your staff and, uh, you know, you kind of have like your recruiting pipelines from certain states or, you know, overseas or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think, um, when, when UT was at its best, for example, um, was probably in the nineties and two thousands. And they were, they were getting kids coming over from football that were winning NCAAs
0: and they were on football scholarships. So that's
1: huge for the team. Right. And then, um, they did make some good hires when they had like Tim Hall, cause he was able to bring in Christian Coleman, obviously, mm-hmm. and some other NCAA champions on the women's side. And then, um, they just made a great hire with, uh, Travis Jeffbert. I'm probably butchering his last name, but uh-huh. he's the, uh, he was the multis and jumps coach at Arkansas. Okay. So now we have a bunch of good multis coming in and, uh, should be a pretty good year, I would think. Wow. With the okay. recruits they have.
0: Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh so walk us through like now you you finished jumping at UT what what were the next steps for you like how did how did you figure out where you're going to train, who you're going to train with, how you're going to fit right. fit it into, like, just your life. Because I, I feel like that's, that's the other part that a lot of people don't understand about a lot of you guys that jump high. It's like you guys are also having to have a life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right, that, right. that means, like, you know, somehow bringing income in and, you, you know what I mean, like figuring out all that stuff. Walk us through that a little bit. For
1: sure. So when I graduated, um, uh, like I said, my the head coach got fired, so they brought in Beth. Mm -hmm. Russ was still the vault coach. So um, he was willing and able to to continue to coach me as like a post collegiate. Right. And uh, so I had to meet with Beth, and she agreed to let me be like a volunteer track coach uh, or pole coach. And so I I did one year like that where I was – so I guess my first job, I was working at Target in the back room from 6 a.m. to about 1, and then I'd go train right and uh, that wasn't really sustainable because on my feet so much just you know walking yeah. 10 miles a day or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah so uh so i stopped doing that and then uh started working at gnc and that was much better uh like hours and mm-hmm. just workload yeah and then uh uh you know just trying to train as best i could but with that job i was more on my own whereas before i kind of set up my schedule to train with jake and the other college guys
2: hmm
1: and um And then, so that was working out pretty well. And I got hired at like like a local kind of health food and supplement shop that I've been at ever since, uh, four years now. And that, um, he, my, my boss is Eddie Raymond and and he's the man. He, uh, super flexible with my schedule and I can, you know, I can tell him a day before I need to go to a meet and he'll take me off the schedule or whatever I want. Uh, so that's been really helpful. And then, um, but yeah, so back to, uh, my first year, um, so I was jumping with Russ and all the college kids, and I I pulled my hamstring probably like six or seven times that year. Yeah. It was kind of just a whole wash year. Yeah. And then um Jake was jumping 19 feet, so I felt like I wasn't quite getting the attention that he was, obviously. Right. Um, And then so Tim Mack had a small group that had kind of just started in Knoxville, and mm-hmm. it was um Austin Crenshaw, Mark Hollis, Keith Weber came in, and mm-hmm. uh, Mike Morrison at the time. He was a – a multi and a 542
0: alter. I I actually, it's crazy. I actually saw Mike Morrison vault in high school. Like he, cause I I actually started out coaching at the Flying Circus, which is near me. It's like about an hour from my facility. And um, Mike Morrison just, popped in for, like, a practice session, and it was crazy. Uh-huh. This kid, what a stud, even in high school. It, it oh, yeah. really, really amazing. But um, the, just, just side note, too, you know, it, what's crazy to me, too, is, like, before you start training with Tim Mack, like, it, it's crazy how you, you know, lot of these colleges, they have great facilities. They have great coaches, but it's like, once you graduate, it's like, yeah, you have to almost, I, you know, I don't want to say beg, but you you have to hope that they'll let you be a volunteer coach, quote unquote, just so it's like, okay for you to be training there. And, and it's, that's wild to me because it's almost like you have these amazing facilities, but it's like top end, like track athletes can't have access to them, you know, once they graduate. And it's, to me, it's wild. Like I, I don't understand how that doesn't somehow, you know, wh- how does someone not figure that out, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, so, uh, kind of unfortunately for me, J.J. Uh, Clark, who was the head coach when I was there, like I said, he, mm-hmm. he was always super friendly to the to the post-collegiates, and if he, right. you know, had ties to Tennessee, he would make
0: it work for you very easily. Right.
1: But um, with the new regime, it, it, it wasn't as, I guess, uh, seamless of a transition, but... Uh, since I just graduated and, you know, I was, I was team captain, so they they felt like they maybe owed me something. So mm-hmm. that one year was super, um, you know, helpful for my career mm-hmm. and, you know, discovering that I, I didn't really want to be in the college system. And I kind of wanted to go with some other people that were doing what I was doing instead mm-hmm. of just, you know, going to class and being on the team. Right. I just kind of felt a little bit of an outsider.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and just, here's the thing. I think what a lot of people don't understand is like, especially when a new head coach comes in or something like that and, they have so many responsibilities under their umbrella that I feel like that's where people lose sight of. It's like that's why it's tough to them. It's like now this is just an added responsibility of having this post collegiate train, and they're stressed out already just trying to juggle everything else. That's why a lot of times the answer is no. I know even in our area, it ends up being like that for college meets. Like it's hard to you have to like beg to get you know allowed into a meet because a lot of times they don't want you know unattached athletes. They're they're getting most of their entry fees from college teams, and they don't want, let's say, a college athlete getting bumped out of an event because a post-collegiate is there. Or, like, let's right. say in the pole vault specifically, it's like, they don't want 50 guys in the runway, and half of them are unattached. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know? So For it's sure. like, it's just, it's a weird thing, but I, I, I get it, and, and that's why, I mean, kind of one of my points always to everybody who does pole vault is like we have to do more of our own things you know what i'm saying like yeah. it's like put on our own events and stuff like that um but but go ahead sorry i, I keep cutting you off i apologize No, oh,
1: no no those are all good points so yeah um i guess uh you know the college system is very good for a certain level and then eventually you know if you're trying to make teams and stuff you will have to break away from that and kind of do your own thing mm-hmm. and so i guess everyone finds out that path on their own, but but for me, uh, it was, I, I learned quickly that I, I wasn't really, you know, the center of attention, which I didn't expect to be, but uh, yeah. when I was out of college, so right. w- when I made that transition to Tim, it, it kind of made it seem more real, and I was, you know, with some more people that were trying to make it work by, you know, working as many hours as they could while, you know, trying to keep pole vault as the focus of their, uh, you know,
0: of their life, life yeah. at yeah. that yeah. point, yeah. So, so what um, yeah. what was it like training in Tim Max Group? Like, what what, what did like how did that work? Like, when did they schedule practice, did you guys always practice together, or was it a lot of one on one training? Like, what what was it like?
1: So, yeah, you know, in that um, in that group environment, it was basically there were three three of us guys. or no, sorry, four of us guys: um, Hollis, Crenshaw, Keith, Weber, and I. And then um, we had the girls too, so that was Kelsey Abby and uh, Melissa Gergel. And, um, it was Marriott Van Meter briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went to, uh, Tulane, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so it was awesome, you know, pretty good All American caliber. And then Hall is obviously US champion. Mm-hmm. And we would all, we would train at basically at 11 every day. And Tim would be at every workout watching us like a hawk, like anything we would do that was out of the norm or technically wrong. He would, right. he would bark at you real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of a different thing because me and, uh, Russ Johnson's relationship was so much more, I guess, friendly, and uh, we almost saw each other as peers at the end, which probably was partially why I left. Like, it was a lot of fun, but I, I think I needed a little more.
0: <laughs> right, like you, you're tr- you're trying to get better. It's like it's not just about shooting the shit, you know. And I, I mean, exactly. even on my regard, I, I mean, I, I've had athletes at certain points where, you know, for whatever reason, it's like you know, especially when I was younger, I almost felt uncomfortable being hard on someone that I've coached for a long time. And yeah. so it's like, you know what I mean? And it's like, no, you still got to do that. Like, I, I think that's sometimes tough for coaches to realize, it's like, you may have coached this person for four or five years, but it's like, you still got to be hard on them and you have to toe that line. And I, I think it becomes difficult for a coach because it, it Polvo, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you, you, you create those relationships. And so you're like, damn, I don't want this person pissed at me, but it's like, Kind of at some points, like it doesn't matter. It, it, the athlete might get pissed, but you got to do what's right for them to perform better. You know? Yeah, for
1: sure. And yeah, that was uh, you know I'm not blaming Russ for that in any way because I definitely thought I was kind of big dog, even though I was you know mm-hmm. a 17-10 kid. But um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I uh, I thought I kind of knew it all. So uh, any when he would kind of push one way, I would I would kind of push back instead of you know listening. Right. When I when, and now that I'm older, I kind of see that, but. Yeah. But with Tim, you you had no options to do that at all. Yeah. So, uh, so that was kind of. I think I needed that at, at, at the time. Mm. And then, um, you know, as you get older, obviously everything changes. And yeah,
0: but but you, you know, know t- figured out more. But you know what's funny too is like even like in that that group that you're you're saying right. So it's like there's four guys, three or four girls. You guys are training together, and here's the thing. Let's say Tim comes in and says, "Hey guys, we're doing this progression today." You know. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know how exactly he did the practices. But let's say he picks out a certain progression. You could be like, nah, man, I don't want to do this, or this sucks. But it's like if two of the other guys are excelling, it's kind of motivates you that you got, you got to figure it out. You can't just lag behind, you know. So right, right. I, that's why I always feel like training, training partners are huge. I think sometimes people in the pole vault they want like one on one, but it's like you kind of need mm-hmm. a training group, you know.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I think. The, the training group is tough to beat just cause it keeps you accountable. It keeps you, um, competitive and it just elevates your game to have, you know, if you're, if you're doing sprints against Mark Hollis, like you have no choice but to get faster.
0: <laughs> right. <or> you'll, yeah. <laughs> or you'll be
1: left in the, at the bottom of the hill, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that situation. And then when, uh, when Mark retired in 2017, it, uh, the group dynamic did change a bit cause all of a sudden, um, you know, there wasn't that kind of top dog that we were all, Gunning after. Um, right. And so, and I think uh, Tim in, in his own way uh, missed Hollis in the group too, just cause you know, having a 19 footer around right. helps everybody. But yeah. Um, but yeah. So then, um, uh, you know, eventually the, the group kind of people started retiring and moving away and the group mm-hmm. kind of fizzled out. And so um, Hollis started coaching some high schoolers and I reached out to him. I was like, Hey, what would you think about, you know, coaching me? Uh, mm-hmm. He's like, well, I don't have any other leads. And I'm like, yeah, that's all right. I mean, I- I've always liked your philosophies, and yeah, uh, when we were jumping together, you know, if, if me and Tim were going at it in a, you know, practice, whatever, I would go to Mark and ask him what he thought, uh, subtly, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, and so uh, this is my uh, this will be my second year with him. And, okay, uh, looking forward to it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, I mean. You know what's interesting to me is like you describing how that that group kind of, you know, people moved on. And I, I sometimes, again, going back to things that we talked about prior to starting the podcast, like I, I feel like with the pole vault, you know, because there's not one access to enough competitions and then it's hard to kind of sometimes fit training and life, you know, because there's not a lot of money in it. I feel oh, yeah. like that's why these things fall apart. Like I think about over the years people who have jumped really, really high who have kind of like walked away from the sport. You know what I mean? And I can yeah. think of names where I'm like, wait, that person had like a really good indoors. What happened outdoors? And maybe it was injury or maybe they just had to start working. Like I don't, I don't know, you know? And yeah, yeah. that that's why it's like for me, I, I feel like, you know, the club system is great. I feel like if we had more clubs, people would have more access to training and then it could kind of fit into your lifestyle, you know? And then if you had more club meets, that would be amazing. I mean, I, I even like think about the whole USA's process and I, you know what I think is crazy? Like, so USATF runs USA's, right? And they have a state meet in every single state that literally almost no one goes to. I don't know if you've ever been to some of these USATF state meets but it's like almost nobody goes yeah so like i i'll go to like the new jersey meet and i know people who go to the new york meet and whatever and it's like you know there'll be a couple high school kids who are like kind of like really into like training for track so they'll go there'll be a couple masters people and that's it if i and i strongly believe this cuz i think in high school and college this happens and in high school and college I think track athletes are super competitive. But then it's like afterwards there's this like bubble where it's like even in your training group, if you guys don't go – like you guys are going to the meets and all you can really think about is kind of PRing, right? Because it's like nothing else is on the line. Whereas if you had like every state meet was like the the first round of the playoffs to get you to regionals. And let's say then they did, after that, you know, they did like a Northeast, Southeast, West Coast, whatever, like five regions. And then they do an East-West Coast Conference, then USAs. And you had to, let's say, place top whatever in each meet to move on. Yeah. Now it would require people to be like on all the time, compete at a high level. And I think, look, for some people that are like, let's say, concerned about not making it through the first round. I mean, in most state meets, you probably clear your opening bar and you've qualified for the next round. You know what I mean? But it's like, and then you could get more fans because here's the thing. If you had at that first round that let's say the New Jersey USATF meet, you knew every state is going to have a couple pros that have to go to it. You're going to get more fans that come to the meet because now it's somewhere local. It's like, oh, you know, hey, like half an hour away, they're having a the state meet and we can watch a couple of professionals. Like even in the pole vault, it's like, oh my God, there's going to be a couple of 17 plus guys or there's an 18 footer or whatever. And then it's like, that kind of gets the buzz going. Plus, I think on the other end, it's like if you make it clear that the spectator money, a percentage goes to the athletes that are like top three or whatever in each event or something, then it puts the athletes to like, okay, promote the meat, get people to come watch you. You know what I mean? I mean, this is a crazy like idea. I know it's like, you know, it's something crazy, but I feel like there, that's how our sport can kind of get more competitive and we can have more compelling storylines. You, know, you know
1: what yeah, I mean? Sure.
0: Cause I can imagine well, like, I, t- go ahead.
1: Well, yeah. So, uh, I actually, that, that seems like a great idea, like model wise, cause you know, high school track is so big and the parents are so into it. And then say like, you know, little Timmy doesn't go to college to bowl ball or run right. track. That's, that's the end of their career. And then no one, right. You know, they're done being invested in it, but right. let's say like their kid advances. And then, uh, you know, me or some other post-collegiate out in Arizona or wherever the region mm-hmm. is, goes to the next meet and they see him jump and then that makes the kid want to go higher and, right. and go to the camps or whatever. And yes, it it couldn't be anything but good for the sport.
0: Right. And, and think about it even for post-collegiates. It's like you yep. know every year you have that that USATF state meet where you can qualify to regionals. So it's like a right. motivating factor. It's like, okay, well, last year I made it to regionals. Oh, my God, now this year I made it to conference. Okay, like I got to keep training. You know what I mean? It's motivating. Whereas, like, when all they do is just take the whatever, top 24 or whatever, and right. and that's what goes to USAs, you're like, okay. And then I thought indoors was crazy. I don't know if you saw what happened indoors, but, like, it, they took 1710. To the USATF, uh, USA's indoors. But the opening bar was 17-9.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was one of those guys that did not make the opening.
0: <laughs> but, dude, I thought that was crazy. It's like, first of all, it's like, okay, as a fan, I want to watch a good competition. I want to see some mates. Yeah. I want to see some, you know, passing and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And it's like when you open that high, you're going to get a lot of no heights. And like, why accept people? When you know what I mean, at that mark, like you're taking in seventeen ten guys, and then you're opening at seventeen nine. That's a, that's a rough opening bar, and you're going to get a lot of yes. no hikes, and that's not a good show.
1: Well, I, I totally agree. I, I was I was pretty uh pretty not happy when I saw the opening bar. I was like, not that I you know I've jumped five forty over fifty times, but but to open at it, I would have to kind of get through my progression much quicker. And right. Just for example, in in two thousand seventeen indoors at uh. Um, Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. They started at 530. And mm-hmm. uh, there's eight guys over 555. And, you know, that's where the I think the more middle of the road US guys like me, mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of need to come in there because, you know, I have my pole progression. I know what I can make on each pole. And right. if I rush it, I may not be ready for that one or whatever. Well, but
0: Well, even in in that Indoor USA's meet, I mean, Andrew Irwin didn't look great at his first bar. But then once he got a couple bars under him, he looked amazing. And so it's like every athlete needs that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like – and here's my thing. I mean this is another wild idea. I feel like, okay, you got however many guys or gals in the field at USAs. I know they're all like, oh, we have to put an opening bar that's going to happen at Worlds, although I would argue for what I'm about to say for even at Worlds. But why let everybody – why not just let everybody open where they want? Because now you let people kind of get into the meat and now you can – Now you can have like an underdog kind of have a chance at winning because that's how that kind of stuff happens. You know, you have someone that all of a sudden gets on a roll during the competition and now they like imagine if someone like early in that meet, right, got on a roll and it gets to Andrew Irwin's opening bar. Andrew, I think he missed his first two attempts you know? Yeah. I think and, you're right. Yeah, So now it's like, imagine you have a first attempt make and he has two misses. All of a sudden now you're pressuring him. And now if you get the first attempt make at the next bar, all my, now it's really a compelling competition. You know what I mean? Right. And now you well, have to see, it, uh, Go ahead. To me, it
1: just seems like, uh, you know, putting the bar that high for USA indoor where none of the collegians are there, which, you know, there was a lot of good ones. Right. They're, uh, they're just trying to rush it for like TV time or something like that. And it's like, no, these are our national championships. And you need to set these up. So we're prepared to jump high and it's a good environment for that. But, but again, that being said, um, I'm 28 years old. I should be able to come in at 541 in my <laughs> opinion. but, <laughs> no. but, uh, but no, don't I have the automatic standard be 545 if the opening is 541.
0: Right, right. No, uh, listen, I, I agree with what, what, how, your expectations for yourself. I think obviously <laughs> as an athlete, you're always going to have those kind of expectations. Um, but, you know, it just, I, I don't know, I, I think it could be done better. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, Look, yeah, even, for awesome. the t- even for the television, look, you can always – they're always going to just show the one jump on TV anyway. It's like but for the people that are there, you have to provide that compelling story, you know, is, is something that happens. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just – I felt bad for a lot of the people that were competing because also personally, I know like the, the armory, the New York City armory, super fast runway. Staten yeah. Island, a little bit slow. I, I mean, I think it's okay. I've had people PR there, but it's like it's not the fastest runway. And I could tell even from a lot of people that were, like, warming up, I was just like, man, I can tell they're not used to a runway this slow. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And you guys were trying to get on – and especially with the opening bar being high, you guys were trying to get on poles that it's like, I don't know, that runway is not going to be able to give you that right away, you know?
1: Yeah, I was in a little bit of trouble. I was going through warm-ups, and I knew the pole that I needed to make 41 on or, you know, somewhere around mm. there, and, and I just couldn't get to it in warm-ups, and I was, like, uh, you know, not really getting in on my smaller poles, so I was, like, I mean, I guess I got to try it on this, and then uh, kind of got, kind of ran under, and then got, then blew it out, and then went up, and then I probably should have gone up again, but, you know, then it's just over, and...
0: Right. You know, it happened you know, fast. You,
1: you spend, uh, spend a lot of your money trying to get there, flying to... New York City or whatever. That's that's um,
0: exactly what I said to people after the meet. I go I can't believe these people are spending, you know, a lot of money to get to to this meet, you know, and to go there and know that that's the opening bar. It's just it's just wild. Like, you know, it is, did, yeah. did did you guys know before heading out to the meet that that was going to be the opening bar or you found out there?
1: No, it's always um it's always the night before, so you know, you're <laughs> checking the uh USATF website or whatever and then it pops up and then you're <laughs> your stomach just sinks you're like oh god 541 that, that's the highest I've ever opened.
0: But. yeah that that's wild man i can't believe they do that i mean like with, with events like high jump and and pole Bowl, i feel like they have to give you guys they have to tell you guys because every other event you just go out there and do your thing and whatever happens happens you know what i mean mm-hmm. but it's like with those two events you the opening bar matters you know
1: um well and, we, and just another example like i was uh there was some diamond league meet uh maybe a month ago but you know, there was four or six meter guys in the competition, and everyone else has gone over nineteen feet probably this year. And, and it starts at like five thirty-one, and I'm like, you know, right? I don't know what USATF USATF is trying to like pull or like. It's just not a good height to start at, but yeah,
0: that that. But my my
1: opinion, uh, I don't think they put a lot of value in mine. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and look, that's that's again, it go, goes to what I'm saying. It's like that's why we have to have our more of our own pole vault events, like. Like, you hear me out on this. Tell me what you think. Um, but imagine now it's like, okay, like, you know, you're training with Mark. I'm sure there's a couple other people that jump pretty high in the Tennessee area. Imagine you guys put on a meet. You get a DJ. You get someone to announce. Really low budget, though. I mean, like, my meet that I do in the summer, I get a DJ. He does it for a few hundred bucks. Uh, Joe Alvari announces he does it for free. Uh, but, you know, it's like, and he does a good job. Um, the DJ does a good job. I have people like work the meat that do a great job, but it's like, it's, it's loud, you know, it's, you know, fun. We get a hundred competitors. We get, you know, usually around like 150 spectators, you know, it's like, I feel like you could, you guys could probably one, if you do it just as like, let's say an elites meet and then just have spectators, if you guys promote enough, you guys can get enough people out where it's like, at least the winner gets a few hundred dollars, if not a thousand, you know? Yeah. And imagine doing that every couple weeks or, or maybe through the summer there's, like, four meets you put on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's a good way for, for post-collegiates to kind of get a little bit of money, you know? I mean, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah that's definitely a good idea. We actually, um, I guess two, two years ago now, we almost had, uh, there's this kind of, in downtown Knoxville, there's Market Square. Yes. Which is kind of uh, perfect for
0: it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. We had it all good to go, but
1: uh ut was actually lending us a runway and it wasn't weather treated oh and uh and it, there was some rain on the forecast so they shut it down like the day of but uh. we got the money like so quick and um we're, i definitely want to try to get it done next year or next uh, spring or whatever but so, get on that so where,
0: where do you where do you jump with mark right now
1: so uh there's a gymnastics gym where i do most of my stuff indoors and like lifting wise it's called okay. gym tech and, uh, we have an indoor setup there, but it's only about 100 feet, so I can, I can do like six lefts, um, mm-hmm. at the max. Yeah. But then outdoors, we're at this, uh, um, private high school in Knoxville called CAK. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Mark has like a, a brand new pit he actually bought off with Tim. Okay. And so we got a real nice UCS big pit there. And, um, I actually, uh, one thing that I do, uh, that I kind of took for granted when Tim was my coach is he would set up all these meets for us that uh, mm-hmm. get the sanctions at UT or CAK right. at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my first 18 foot is right. uh, where I'm training at now. So it's a pretty good runway even though it's high school. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, so hear me out on this. I Don't get me wrong. I've been to Market Square. I love it. I especially uh-huh. love the Honey Tupelo Cafe. That is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but like, and, and I can, I can envision what you guys are talking about in that market square would be amazing. But I, I think literally like what I was saying before, you get a DJ, someone to announce, you know, you promote the crap out of it. You could literally probably do it at the high school that you train at or even the gymnastics gym. Like, let's say during like winter time, you know, when the weather's not great. Who cares? You're going from a short run to the average person who's watching it, they're going to be amazed just watching you jump even like a 16-foot bar, you know what I'm saying, in a a setting like that. And especially in the gymnastics gym, it's probably going to be crowded. Like if you get 50 people to watch, it's going to be like the energy level is going to be amazing, you know what I mean? And you guys can walk away with some money. I I think people have to start thinking like that because now if you could kind of build it up, like imagine you do a couple of meets like that, people start like getting excited, you get more and more people to come watch, then you do the market square thing once you have enough people that are into it. I mean, does that make sense? Right, right.
1: You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, from like a, a fundraising standpoint for the vault, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, I think that's what gets a lot of people in the end is if they're not, you know, going to Europe and stuff, it is tough to make a living doing it, if right. at all. Right. So, uh, so any kind of help like that when you're actually able to do your sport and make money in it, I think that's, you know, when good things happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, a- after we're done with the podcast, we should talk more about this and, and brainstorm a little bit. But um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So kind of let, let's go go to the next thing. I, I know I brought up to you, um, and for those of you that don't know who are listening, uh, Max Kellerman from ESPN, he made some interesting comments about track and field. He was kind of saying that track and field does not have as good athletes as the other sports because it's not a big money sport. And so we get that the guy who couldn't catch the ball, who couldn't, you know, shoot the three-pointer well and they end up trickling down to track because we're not a big money sport and that's why we don't have the best athletes and also that track is an athletic event but it doesn't we don't it doesn't have as many demands like if someone runs the, and I think he was more talking about the 100 meters than anything else but he was saying like you just see how fast someone runs you don't get to see you know do they have good hands do they handle pressure but I think out of all the events pole vault, dude it is a skill event you can't just be a stud You have to have the skills. And I think there's a lot of thinking like you were even talking about, you know, when you're warming up, there's a lot going on. If you know what the opening bar is and you don't get on a certain pole, you have to start making some major adjustments. I mean, what did you think about those Max Kellerman statements? I mean, were you just completely disgusted or did you see some of his points? Like, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I guess um, I wasn't as as upset as a lot of people were, but um, you know, some of it did rub me wrong. Like, uh, you know, basically saying that track athletes aren't good enough to do other sports or athletic mm-hmm. enough. And I'm like, well, you know, try, try pole vaulting one time, big guy, but, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, um, I, I think he's got a point where like, you know, some of the very top athletes will obviously go where the money is because they want to use their skills to make a living and make a lot of it. If you're you know, if you're right. like Ron James, there's really no appeal to running track or, you know, Uh, if you're going to be an NFL quarterback, like, it just doesn't compare money-wise and
0: and all that, but... And LeBron um, James is an amazing example. I mean, he's, like, the unicorn of athletes because that guy in middle school was a man. Like, I remember remember watching his high school basketball games. It was ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, I was in, like, sixth grade when he was uh, a senior. Mm -hmm. And I remember everyone talking about this high school kid, and I just couldn't even fathom, like, (laughs) that he could be the next guy, and he's only, you know... Six yeah. years
0: older than you or whatever.
1: Right, but, right. Uh, but yeah, they were right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and like you said, it's like, yeah, it's tough. Like, how would you convince someone of LeBron's stature that, like, hey, you should try long jump, you know? It's like, yeah, you know, yeah. or you should try pole vaulting or the 100 meters. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, it does get tough. And you, you know what I think is funny is even within track, I always think, like, the most athletic guys – or, or gals, are usually like 100 meters in shot put because I feel like those are the most basic explosive events. And yep. then I feel like everything trickles down, right? Like if you're too slow for the 100, you try the 2. If you're too right. slow for the 2, you try the 4. And I feel like what a lot of people don't get with the pole vault, and again, I think it becomes an access thing. Like we have to give people more access to the event. But it's like wh- if I'm winning the 100 meters, why would I want to try pole vault?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: You, you know, but yet that's the – That's the guy or gal that will really dominate pole vault. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I guess, um, kind of back to Kellerman's comments, whatever. It's like, uh, I I don't know. I guess people kind of, in my opinion, they'll, they'll gravitate towards what their skill set is. You know, people Mm -hmm. like to win and, and feel like they're doing the sport that they're good at or kind of meant to do in a way. And -hmm. so in my case, you know, I'm, I'm six foot 170. So. I'm not, I would never be a great football player, Mm -hmm. at least in the league. Um, Yeah. And I I stopped after middle school because I was about 100 pounds in, so. Um, (laughs) But I just, I just, I guess I just thought some of the comments were kind of just ignorant, like, you know, calling track athletes soft and stuff. It's like, I don't think you would, you know, say that to Ryan Krauser's face.
0: (laughs) Well, listen, I, I think, I think there's plenty of track athletes that are tough. Definitely. Oh yeah. But then, I mean, I think, and we don't have to name names, but I'm sure you've been around some track athletes, so yeah like, come on, man, like, dude, you gotta yeah, I think, um, you gotta be a little bit more gritty, you know, yeah, yeah, I think you
1: can get away with not being as gritty in track um i I kind of built a career at, at Tennessee around that, and mm-hmm. probably detrimental to myself in some ways, just overtrained a lot and um mm-hmm. you know needed needed more of the finesse side, I guess to yeah to kind of break through, but and I'm, I actually still struggle with that, honestly, because I was, um uh, my, my first sport in high school was wrestling and, and I, I had a lot more interest from colleges than that, but I kind of outgrew it, mm-hmm. uh, being so tall and, and lean, but, um, yeah. but so I, I hear where he's coming from, you know, like I wouldn't say all the track athletes are gritty, but you know, to generalize them like that when there's so many different events, you know, you have a, a again, like a guy like Krauser is six, whatever, seven, mm-hmm. over 300 pounds. And then you have, a 10K guy that's 120 pounds.
2: That, right, you know, right.
1: I, w- I wouldn't say that, you know, you just can't generalize it like that. So well, well, again, I, I think his comments are just a little ignorant.
0: But. Well, right. And I and I think, you, you, you know, that's a huge point. There's so many different events in track that it's not like all of us lump into the same group. But I, I love mm-hmm. that you brought up, like, wrestling. I mean, I always... You know, one of the things I started saying at my club, because um, I don't know if you know who Dave Tate is. He's a former powerlifter. He owns Elite FTS, which is an equipment supply company, so they make squat racks and such. And Dave Tate, t- t- talking to like powerlifters, he's like, "Listen," he goes, "If you're trying to be a world record holder in powerlifting, you cannot let a high school wrestler outwork you." And he's like, because yeah. that's just facts. Like, I, I mean, there's pro- probably nothing more grueling than being a high school wrestler. You know what I mean? The dedication, yeah. the sacrifice, you know, and a lot of times I talk about that at my club. I'm like, you guys think jumping at this club is hard, you know, because I want I want to see you in the squat rack and I make you go go through your weight training and different mm-hmm. workouts. It's uh, like it's nothing compared to being a wrestler. You know, you, you got to yeah, be willing uh, to work, you know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I was actually fortunate. I went to a, a camp. Um into my I was going into my junior year I think and uh and a bunch of these like high level coaches including Kale Sanderson and Dan Gable they came in like gave wow. us speeches and, yeah. and when when gave when Gabe after Gable's speech like my life was kinda changed as far as sports go and um you know my work ethic changed and I was just like if that's what it takes, you know like I'm gonna give it a shot for sure. Yeah. And um and I kinda you know I guess in my own way I kinda used that in pole vaulting too, just like, you know, trying to be the hardest worker at U T and yeah, And then, you know, in my Tim Mac group and, um, yeah, I think it kind of shaped me, but, uh, one of the quotes that, that he said, and he's kind of famous for was, once you've wrestled, everything is easy. Yeah. And, um, and I, I definitely agree with that because, you know, the, just the practices and doing all of that with, with no food and then, mm. you know, a day out in my case, no water either. It's like, right. Weight and training that hard is. It changes you for sure.
0: Well, and and I think it's interesting, like because in our event pole vault specifically, I feel like you have two sides of the coin. I think you have the stereotypical lazy pole vaulter, you know, like the kid who probably started pole vaulting because they don't want to do the running workouts. Yeah. But I think on the on the other side of the coin, pole vault also has a big draw of people like you, who like you know, one thing that stuck out that you just said, you're like, oh, I have to always try not to overtrain you know, because pole vaulting, I, what I love about pole vaulting, it's like, you know, trying to figure out a puzzle, right? You have that technical component where you got to try to figure out this technique, but then you even start to realize like, okay, even for me to figure out this technique, maybe I got to get a little stronger. I got to get a little faster, you know, maybe I got to get a little bit more flexible, you know, and you have to like constantly manage all these different, you know, angles. And I think there's a lot of pole vaulters like you where, you know and i've coached people where i'm like dude you got to calm down you're training too hard you know what i mean and and i think that's what what really makes pole vaulting so enticing like i, I don't know man i feel like a lot of the other events like i, I don't know i don't know I, i'm i know there's people that are passionate about running the 400 but it's like i think you'd be hard pressed to open up a 400 meter club but with pole vaulting it's like it kind of like almost tricks you. Like, I, I, like I, I made a post yesterday on Instagram because what I'm trying to do is try to get people outside of pole vault to try pole vaulting, like maybe oh, an yeah, adult but- who's yeah trying to just get into fitness. And what I feel like with pole vaulting, one, it's a total body workout. You know, you pole vault, your whole body's working. And then secondly, it kind of tricks you into working out because you kind of yeah. like get obsessed with trying to jump higher. So now all of a sudden maybe that, that like someone who maybe was like, oh, I don't want to squat. I hate squatting. Well, now it's like, oh, well, if I squat, while I jump higher. Maybe might help you get faster. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll squat. You want to know? You, yeah. you
1: kind of try each puzzle piece. Yeah, I, I think that's what is so. Uh, that's what, in a way, keeps you going. um And you know, later in your career in pole ball, it's like it, there's so many moving parts, and it's it's always uh, like a mental grind and a, a mental battle to like try new things and and you know, really be honest with yourself about your weaknesses and and work on those as much as you can and. But you only have so much time in the day, so it's like right. you try things for a year and if that doesn't work, you're like, all right, well, I'm going to remove that cue mm-hmm. and try this and you know, maybe try to sprint more and get more mobile because I feel like the strength is there or whatever. It's, it's just – it's super addicting in that way that there's so many ways to go about it and, and everyone's genetics are different and environments and training and all that. It's, it's just really – really
0: yeah. fun yeah well and and i remember even you know years ago when sean francis was still jumping his vlogs were amazing because people got to see how hard he was working to jump what he jumped and i, I thought that that was always amazing because it's like i feel like there are plenty of athletes that probably watch that and go oh all right i gotta i gotta step up my game you know
1: yeah yeah um well um, go ahead and one more one more thing uh just about uh how i started at ut so um I don't know if this is really common knowledge or mm-hmm. if, if anyone really cares, but I guess I'm on the podcast. All the time, yeah, but,
0: um, yeah. I'm sure if someone cares.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I definitely brought the wrestling mentality to UT, and um, I was actually just going to UT as a student, um, and I was at an orientation, and we were on our way out, and my dad's like, "Hey, that's the track office," and I jumped 15 feet, you know, a month ago. I was okay. Like, you want to ask if you can walk on? And I'm like, I mean. I don't think I can. Like I, I looked online and, you know, Joe Barry's jumping 17.9 and right. everyone's jumping 17 feet. And, um, he's like, well, let's at least ask. And so I went in and they were between a coaching transition and, uh, the sprint coach kind of just, you know, gave me this sheet that said, you have to jump 15.3. And, uh, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's the end. And then, um, I was probably going to be a fraternity kid or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then like a month later, I got a call when I was at my cousin's graduation up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it's uh Russ Johnson, and he said that I could walk on. Okay. And so then we kind of backpedaled and tried to get into some AAU stuff to try to get that 15 3 to kind of really solidify it because we didn't know, you know, right. if they could change their mind or whatever. Right. And then, um so my first year I was, you know, trying to work really hard and I felt like I was in the mix, but uh, didn't improve at all. It went up one inch to 15 1. Okay. And uh, at the end of that, I was like, for sure I'm getting cut here. Right. And, um, and then I had a good summer and uh, ended up jumping 16-7 the next year and scored at both SECs. Wow! Nice. And then um, worked into some scholarship, which I, that was always a goal, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I was working with these guys. And um, and then the next year I had an even better summer and really just, like, anything I could do to get better, I, I did. Like, I didn't I didn't drink alcohol for, like, a year over my wow. 21st birthday. Like, I was super into it, and I went up to 17-9 uh, mm-hmm. and got a first-team All-American. And then um, – actually got mvp of the team that was uh captain for the next two years wow so um to, to any of the younger belters listening i guess just like pole may seem kind of fun and like and easy but you really have to grind if if you want to be good but at the same time be careful and don't overtrain because every year i try to do a little more and eventually you just can't and it's actually detrimental to Train too
0: hard, I guess. Yeah, and and, and it's funny because um, I think sometimes, you know, I'll post certain things, you know, like I'll post a lot about, like, working hard and training and, you know, and sometimes I'll have, like, like Jeff Coover will sometimes comment on my Facebook and be like, well, you know, you can't train too hard. You're going to get hurt and everything, and mm-hmm. what I always, like, tell Jeff is, like, you have to keep in mind who's listening, right? Yes, yes. Like, for, for you, for a Jeff, you guys know, you've you've crossed the line and overtrained, so you guys have to be weary of that. But it's like, yes. like you're saying, like, you just said, like, man, you didn't drink alcohol for a year. There's probably going to be mm-hmm. some high school kid that hears that and is like, shit.
1: You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what? Yeah, like definitely. I the- sacrificed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, it's kind of never-ending now. You know, I'm, I'm working every you know i guess uh in my new newer kind of job or Mm -hmm. like how do i say this the job i'm in now Mm -hmm. at some points like i'm working 50 days in a row without a day off and
2: training right
1: just so i can prepare to go out of town when i have to it's
2: like right you know
1: if you really want it you'll you gotta really put in the time and, and sacrifice a lot but not that I haven't enjoyed it at all, but just a. Uh,
0: but no, the, nice, the, uh, you, so I, I love uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you know who Gary V is. He's this entrepreneur. He's all over Instagram. You should definitely follow him if you don't. Yeah. Uh, but he has a lot of inspirational things. And one of the things he always talks about is like, you got to be willing to eat shit. Right? Like, if you want something, you gotta eat shit. And it's like, I even, I tell people about like coaching, you know, I mean, even to this day, you know, and, and the club's more established now, and that's why I'm very, you know, lucky I can, you know, I can take, uh, you know, a week off in between summer and, and fall. But it's like, when I first started the club, I wouldn't take any weeks off, you know, and, yeah. and even to this day, once indoors starts, it's like, I don't really have, you know, more than a day. I. Once after New Year's, I probably only have one or two days off through outdoor track because there's always practices. There's always meets. There's, you know, and it's like I'm trying to juggle all that stuff. And listen, I love what I do. I'm not complaining at all, you know, but it's like but that's the kind of work that you got to put in. And it's like even for someone who wants to coach, you know, and they want to have a club like I've heard too many people. They're like right out of college. They're like, "Oh, oh, my God, they only want me to be a volunteer coach. Dude, you're unproven. You got this is a new yeah, yeah. new field. It don't matter how high you jumped, you're, you're now stepping into a new thing. You got to be able to eat shit.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and actually, um, uh, in the spring, I was brought on as a volunteer or not a volunteer uh, as a paid coach for a private high school as the jumps coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was out there, I was like thinking to myself, I was like, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. Like it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> I, I
2: think
1: you you know you get those opportunities when you really do grind and. Um, mm-hmm. And I was thankful like, for it, and it, it actually I think like was great for my my mental health, and um, you know, in my other job, I'm, I'm on my feet a lot, so mm-hmm. uh, working working less when I was coaching and stuff, it was it was kind of a blessing in disguise. But um, but yeah, I, I guess the uh, and again with with how often you're working doing the club and stuff, that's again why I'm happy to be on this podcast because <sighs> I, I love full vault and um, I appreciate other people that do too, and Thank and, and help you. you know build the sport up.
0: Yeah, th- and thank you. And, and I, I mean, you know, it, it just look, I think no matter what, like even while you're grinding, like you said, I mean, I you got to be grateful. You're doing something that you love. Like even like even listening to you talk about like your first year out, you know, working at Target, then working at GNC, now working where you're working. You know, I feel like sometimes, you know. People, they talk a lot, right? Like, I'll hear people like, oh, I want to jump really high, you know, or whatever. And it's like, or even like, forget about pole vault. I have people who are like, oh, I really want to get into this career. And I'm like, well, you might have to like go work at Starbucks while you're trying to get that career off the ground. Uh And the look on their face, they're like, no, I can't do that. It's like, why are you too proud? Like you got, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, I, I always think of—I uh, don't know if you ever seen uh, pictures of uh, Jeff Bezos's office when he first started Amazon. Like, oh, no, dude, it's literally like a slab of plywood with two by fours yeah. on each corner, and there's like a little white-lined paper that says Amazon.com on it. And it's like that's where he started, man. You know, and everybody was probably laughing at him then, but now look at him. But he had to be willing to do that, and I think. I think all these stories, you know, that, you know, I, I use it to fuel myself. It's like, you know, everyone starts somewhere, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to go through that grind, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. That's kind, great of us. Yeah, kind of to take it to the to the other topic that I wanted to bring up, and before we even go there, um, here's and look, thank you for everything uh, that you're saying about my podcast and my club. That's really awesome. I'm grateful. Oh, yeah. But I, I'm sure you're not surprised. I obviously have people who don't like me. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> real, I I've had plenty of posts where people are like trying to rip me apart and this and that, and even more so, like I mean, in my local area because you know it gets competitive. Uh, we're yeah. very lucky they're within a maybe two three hour radius there's probably five or six clubs you know and yeah. so it's like really awesome so so people do have a little bit of choices where they want to go um, and obviously when you have certain rivals they might talk shit about you you know I've yeah. had people yeah. say plenty of crazy stuff you know whatever and yet here's the thing those same people that are critics of mine I shake their hand I say hello if they need a poll they know they can call me I like literally yeah. like and again, I'm not going to name names, but there was a coach that went up to, to head coaches in one of the counties that I coach at and was like, mm-hmm. don't send your kids to Apex. Oh, wow. Because the, the head coach told me about it, you know, and he was like, <laughs> it was crazy. And the head coach was like, look, I don't know anything you're talking about, this pole vault technique stuff. He goes, all I know is my kids like Bronco and I like Bronco. So that's it, you know? <laughs> right. So it was, it was well, funny. You know,
1: again, uh, back to your point on that, like people that don't like you or don't agree with your, your technical models, whatever it's like, if in your case, if you don't say out loud what you think you, you know, believe in, I guess technically Mm -hmm. it'll discredit you immediately. It's like, you have to be able to say like, no, I I believe this works and I can defend it. You know, if if you, if someone challenges it and, um, right. And so, you know, obviously everyone has their own perfect technical model in their
0: head. right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Even on paper. But, um, if you don't believe in what you're doing, I don't think you'll be, you know, anything as a coach. So um, even, even if, you know, certain coaches don't believe with whatever you say, it's like uh, if you got kids coming in and they're improving and, and you believe in it, it's like. Who's to say you're wrong
0: you know right well and and the other thing too I feel like people forget like all the wrinkles that we have to add to our process or even our technical mm-hmm. model depending on on our environment right like exactly. even for me there's things that I do at my club because I have a club right like I have access to my club 24/7 you know and we have a you know a couple squat racks and weight equipment you know I I made things fit into the environment that I'm in but somebody else might be in a different environment and so that's yeah. why they do things the way they do it um, but you know, the thing is like I never take things that personal because I know even like this is a big thing for me. It's like I know if someone's like criticizing me or something like that, look, that's on that's on their end. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not my problem. And and like I told you, that one guy that was going to head coaches saying that, that same guy will text me before meets and be like, "Hey, you know, could you bring me this poll? And I'm like, "Yeah, no problem." I still help that guy out and and I will still help that guy out and I'll help other people out who who you know maybe are negative with me sometimes because like the thing to me is like I just don't take it personally and I think b- because I've done it this long you know I started the club in 2007 I went full time 2010 um, I feel like that's yesterday, but unfortunately it's not <laughs> It's been a while and that's it's like, right. so the longer I coach, cause I used to take things very personally in the beginning and yeah. now I'm just like, dude, it doesn't do you any service to kind of like burn bridges and it doesn't do you any service to get all worked up over s- somebody else's opinion, you know? Um, yeah, I
1: totally agree. Uh, I'm, I'm totally in the camp of, uh, you know, once you really don't care what other people think about what you're doing with your life or just you in general, it's, it's so, uh, it's so freeing and you can just enjoy everything
0: yeah, you guys. yeah yeah no of course cuz look someone might look at like the life you just described i mean look there's going to be people that listen to this podcast what you just described as your life they're like they dream of that. They hope they can do that. But then there's going to be other people like, oh my god, why doesn't Chase start working in finance or something? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, you know, and it's like, dude, you're... believe me,
2: I ask myself that a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but it's like you gotta you gotta make yourself happy. You know, it's not about what anybody exactly. else wants. Um, that being said, I guess like we're kind of I'm trying to transition to the the last topic that yeah. uh, I definitely want to go over is you know there's some meme pages on Instagram and stuff like that. And they post some funny stuff. I'm sure. And here's the funny thing. Like I've heard comedians talk about this. Uh, Like I listened to Ricky Gervais on a, a podcast recently. And he was like, look, like everybody loves to laugh at jokes until the jokes on them you know, yeah, yeah. and then, then you get upset and, and, you know, one of the meme pages posted something about, you know, Sandy Morris singing at one of the, the track meets and then Joe Oliveri commented and then Sandy wrote this big post. And I don't, yep. I don't know. I, I have like a lot of like, uh, thoughts and comments and, and feelings about it. You know, um, one, I, I mean, like, I don't know who, who can maybe criticize a pole vaulter. How do we start doing that? because I feel like, look, like, let's say another sport that's more popular, like the NFL. There's a lot of NFL analysts that were never football players or weren't that good, didn't play that long. You know, and they're analyzing the games. And that provides the storyline for the fans to, one, understand the sport more deeply. So we don't have, like, someone like a Max Kellerman super simplify our sport where it doesn't sound like a sport. And then it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, how— How do we navigate through this? Like, how do we? Because I feel like almost like in the pole vault, because the way track is, we're at such a uh, almost early stage of this becoming popular. Because now social media is allowing for people to communicate about it. But how? how, What? What's the proper channel? How? Who? Who should be commenting or dissecting the jumps? Because. I mean I don't know about you but as a fan I would love to have people kind of analyze and 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 break down a meet and be like oh you know this guy should have maybe won up a poll or they you know they missed this opportunity and this guy really did a great job they they hit all the the marks you know like yeah, yeah. How, how do how do we do that you know what's your opinion well, I think on that? um
1: I think it kind of goes back to what you're saying about like um you know the major networks don't really care about track until mm-hmm. Olympic years, as far right. as like you know, uh, you know year-round coverage or at least yeah. closer to the games. Um, but uh, I do love that. Like I think it's I can't remember what network it is, but like they'll pick up Trey Hardy to break down field events, and I'm like, you know, this is what I want to listen to. It's like
2: mm-hmm.
1: once we have, I guess um, I don't know. I guess we just need more coverage in general, right? And then. And then we can get these, like, experts that are, you know, eloquent, like Trey Hardy or, or you know, um, even, like, Dwight Stones and those guys. Like, they, they do a pretty good job. Um, but, like, if there was more stuff to commentate on and, and the – I guess the interest was bigger and there was more things on TV, like, and not, like, on NBC Gold – where people aren't going to go out of the way to pay that except for like people like us, but
0: well, yeah. Uh, so I, I even heard when like, um, I guess Sandy got to like, um, commentate on like the men's vault one time. And yeah. I heard that one of the things she said, was like, they didn't really let her talk about some of the things they wanted. She wanted to talk about, like she wanted to really get technical. And then all yeah. of a sudden they're like, no, 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 just basic stuff. And it's like, that's why like, I feel like with social media, we do have this opportunity. People can, you know, put their analysis yep. out there. Um, I, obviously like or let me give you another example like in the UFC now um and ESPN picked him up he works for ESPN now but Ariel uh, Hawani I don't know if you know who that is but he like for years was just like on his own like I guess he's probably started a podcast, and then he, you know, had his whatever social network uh, connections, and he would just interview fighters and then provide his analysis, and he kind of just kept doing it. And, look, he pissed a lot of people off along the way. I mean, I think Dana White, like, hated him for a long time. I don't know what his relationship with Dana White, who's the president of the UFC right now. um, I don't know what their relationship is like now, but Ariel is, like, the top reporter for the UFC. And, you know, look, I mean, Personally, I think he's a little goofy. It's not my style, you know what I mean? Right. But he's he's doing it. Like I prefer Chael Sun and I, I really like his analysis. But um Oh yeah, I, I do too. Yeah. But you know, it's like it's like kinda like I, I don't know. It's like we kind of need people to voice their opinion on stuff. Like I, I, I don't know. But like, and yeah, and then I think of uh... the meme pages. It's like that stuff is funny, and I I think also that's something different. That's not really analysis. I I don't know. Yeah. I'm just I just like because I'm I'm wondering like you know I- your opinion because like I wonder what you would think like let's say like someone did analyze like USA's and you you know it was when you competed and they like you know put something out there. How would you take to that? Like, what, what would you think, you know? Well, I guess uh,
1: overall, just the market's so small. So, obviously, I, if, if someone were to do that and, you know, just kind of trash, say, me at USA's, which <laughs> they can, you know. But uh, I guess it'd be like, you know, you, you take it hard.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. But,
1: but at the same time, you, you try to be professional and you're like, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I know what I'm trying to do. And um, and actually, uh, it does... It's interesting to me, I guess, that, you know, Sandy is one of the all-time greats for the women and mm-hmm. that uh, that stuff like that still can, like, really rattle her. Um, not that it wouldn't to me because, you know, we're all human, but right. Um, I guess I thought, you know, uh, with her kind of success and probably, you know, obviously has mental fortitude to be able to jump
0: five yeah, minutes as a co- woman. Course. Like, well, yeah. dude, I thought... In her career, when I look back so far, right, uh, and obviously she's still going, you know, she's amazing. But, like, oh, yeah. for me, it was, like, that first Olympic trip she took, I mean, she freaking broke her wrist. And when she posted the video of her doing, like, one-arm pull-up stuff and whatever, yeah. and it's like she's still training, you know, as hard as she can to be as prepared as possible and then to make the team and then, then you know, get the get the medal. You know, it's like yeah. – that's amazing. Like, she obviously is, like, super tough. She's super amazing, oh, yeah. you know? Um, and, and even this year, she's coming back from injury, and she's right. still doing very, very well, you know? Yeah, she's um, a beast. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like – because here's the thing, too. It's like it's one thing, you know, high school. It's one thing college. But now, if you're on the professional stage, you know, it's kind of like – I always feel like this, too. If you post something on social media, you can't expect everybody's just going to, like, kiss your
1: ass, you know Yeah exactly and, especially with her following she's going to have, you know, thousands of comments to sift through and
0: right um, you know and so somebody's you know. going to be negative i mean one I, I would tell someone who gets a lot of comments and stuff don't look at them you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. um if especially if you're busy trying to compete on my end i'm trying to keep networking and make connections so like whatever i'll try to respond to every comment i can um yeah. but like you know it's just one just like don't worry about it don't take mm-hmm. it personally i feel like um but you have to know that comes with the territory because, like, I, yes. I knew right away. It's like, dude, I'll post, like, lifting video, and that is, like, probably the worst, you know. It's like I'll I'll post, like, some, you know, middle school girl deadlifting, and obviously everybody has an opinion about that. And then it's like, I don't know, man. Like, they're healthy. They're fine. No one's getting hurt, and they're getting stronger, <laughs> you know. Yep, yep. But it's like I just have to know that that's, that comes with the territory. And I, I feel like when you're stepping on that stage, you know, to try to be elite or professional – that's just it, right? Like you can't, like, let's say, try to be a stand-up comedian and, oh, no one can boo you. Someone yeah, yeah. might boo you, like, you know. And I, I get what you're saying too. I feel like that's a fair point. That it's such a small community, you know, right. and so sometimes that's why. That's why maybe we all, we all do take things a little bit personally because of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I don't know uh, what the perfect answer is for that, but it's like, uh, you know, I guess. You gotta have thick skin, I'm sure, at the top I, I'm not there, but I would like to be Obviously, but, yeah. um, you know, at, at Sandy's level, uh, I, I guess Uh, I just thought, um You know, I'm sure she gets all kinds Of comments that she doesn't like all the time mm-hmm. Uh, she has, you know, I don't know 100,000 followers or whatever yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I guess You know, everyone's human at the end of the day, so Certain things can, can really get to you and, and she can single someone out Like that if she wants to, too, she has that power, so
0: Yeah, yeah no, listen. I, I think just like what I'm saying about being a professional jumper, I think if you're going to analyze jumps, you have to understand that some people might get pissed at you. You know what I yep. mean? Yep. Um, so you know that that's that's the other side too. Um, I don't know, I don't know. I guess there's no perfect answer. I just I feel like we definitely need analysis. You know what I mean? Like yep. um, I personally probably don't have time maybe I should make time I don't know to like maybe like cover meats and try to analyze but um at the same time it's like I feel like I have so many other things on my plate that I'm trying to do but I I kind of almost hope someone would do that you know what I'm saying right, like right. almost like I I know like Joe Rogan does those like fighter companions it's like I wish someone would do like track meat companions and just cover the meat and really like kind of analyze it but I, yeah. you know I think one time I did that and it's like even when I did it, I was, like, very careful because, like, yeah, I don't exactly. want to offend anybody. You know what I mean?
1: Um, well, yeah. Well, And imagine being Joe Rogan and you're, like, critiquing... These like world-class fighters that could kill you
0: right. and,
1: uh, <laughs> try not to, uh, amend them, you know?
0: yeah. Well, listen, uh, pole vultures might not be world-class fighters, but I think almost <laughs> any pole vaulter could kick my ass. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but yeah, so I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's a very interesting line. You know, you, you try to ride that line and, you know, I don't know. Well, I,
1: I remember, what... um, kind of before, I guess Scott was like, uh, really on like the, the diamond league scene. Um, he would, Go Instagram live and, uh, I know Trios did this mm-hmm. one time this year, which, which I always appreciate. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, they show the timely meeting, just kind of, you know, give their little tidbits. Cause, and not that I, I guess they're not saying anything I disagree with, but mm-hmm. to the, to the common person that doesn't know anything about football, it's probably more interesting to know, you know, what's going on in the meet. Cause they're just seeing people flying down a runway and flying over a bar. They have no idea. Right introduce, you know, right. well, I, I, details and yeah, stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I always tell people, I'm like, it's amazing how in the NFL, like, they still explain some of the basic stuff, and then yeah. they also get so technical that the, someone who may have never played football knows what a cover-two defense is. <laughs> okay. And I just, it, that that's the amazing part, and it's like, that's what's kind of missing in track, because we don't have the analysis, and we don't have someone explaining it. It's like, you know, there's some people that probably don't even know there's three attempts in pole vault.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when they brought in Tony Romo after he retired to do the analysis, mm-hmm. it's like everyone was so in love with it because they're like, he's explaining it like he was playing and he's so close from playing the game or, or right. not far removed. Right. Like the analysis was so in depth and like I learned more about, you know, certain things and he would almost call the plays before and you're like, this is super interesting to me. Right. Um, so, if, so if we could have, I guess, more coverage and people like that, that. You know, people respect and like we're good in their game, and they're they're breaking it down. Like, like imagine Sam Kendrick's breaking down pole vault on like right. Saturday afternoon on like ESPN. Like, that'd be awesome. Yeah, like, years from now, but
0: yeah. Well, I, I I even think something that would be cool is to kind of have like a professional and then someone who's not a professional vaulter, so that they can kind of. Because sometimes when you're in it, like you don't realize the questions people have.
1: You, yeah. know, you have like your, your normal like, kind of anchor guy and then you have like your your expert and then they go back and forth.
0: Right b- yeah. b- Because even when I started doing social media, you know I would think about like okay, what should I post like for a technical thing like what technical thing? And then I started to realize like dude, there's people out there that just need to know how to pick up a poll. Yeah, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like it's like yeah, yeah. we sometimes get so far ahead. You're like, okay, I want to give out the most like physics oriented explanation, and it's like, wait, some people just gotta you gotta pick it up like this, like you know, wrist under the hand, elbow under the wrist, you know, blah blah blah. Well,
1: yeah, uh, funny you said that. When I was in high school, I I didn't understand that you were supposed to let the pole rotate in your left hand as you flip as mm-hmm. a righty. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah. I would I would plant the pole at the back of the runway. And then take that same grip over. So I was running like my elbow was the first thing going
0: down the runway. Right. I, I know. Uh, yeah. Your elbow's sticking out in front. And you're kind of like yeah, and I, and punched over
1: feet that way. And I had no idea like it was wrong. Like, so you're right. You do. We could definitely get way too in depth. Um, so I think, I think you would need a good balance of like just your normal sportscaster.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe, you know, imagine, so so, like, like Sam breaking it down and then the other guy being like, well, wh- why is he passing right now? And that could be, like, yeah. to Sam, it's like, uh, duh, like, obviously they have to pass. And it's <laughs> like, but, you know, you have to explain, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so far this is a great podcast, you know. I, was there anything else that, that you wanted to go over or anything you want to add before before we end the podcast?
1: Um, off the top of my head, I, I do not um –
0: do, do you yeah, want to tell people not. how they can follow you or, you know, reach out oh, or whatever?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, on, uh, Instagram, is probably my most active social media. It's, uh, Chase Brandon,
0: 18, uh, Chase Brandon was already taken. So I had to have the 18. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and that was before I jumped 18 feet. So it was kind of,
0: kind Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: And then, um, I'm on uh, Twitter, but, uh, that's not really my best, uh, social media, but it's right. Chase Brandon, just Chase Brandon on there. And, uh, I mostly just kind of tweet about the Titans and, uh,
0: that's about it, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, again, thanks for, for doing this, uh, podcast episode. This was awesome. I think people are going to love this. Um, just to close us out again, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, check us out on all our social media platforms on uh, Instagram. It's the real apex vaulting and we're just apex vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter. And if you have any questions or comments, uh, please email us at apex vaulting, uh, apexvaulting at gmail.com, and thanks for listening.